I guess I could say like, I don't care what the cause is. I just care about listening to my body day to day and month to month because the training cycles change and then your macronutrient requirements change as well. Your body's changing and you're more hungry at heavier trainings and maybe menstrual cycle, but let's just listen to the signs that your body's telling you. Hello and welcome to the Long Munch, the nutrition podcast for runners, cyclists and triathletes. I'm Steph Gaskell. And I'm Alan McCubbin. We are both accredited sports dietitians based in Melbourne and combined have over 30 years experience working with runners, cyclists and triathletes to help them stay healthy and optimise their performance from complete beginners through to professional and Olympic athletes. We're also both researchers in sports nutrition at Monash University, and we love translating the often complex science of sports nutrition into simple and practical strategies. Each week, we take a deep dive into the most common nutrition questions that runners, cyclists, and triathletes ask. It's the stuff uh, you talk about in your training sessions, it may be after um, your training in your recovery session, and what we're trying to do is we try and break down those questions and we invite a, a guest expert, researcher, practitioner, uh, and that's in our t- um, part A episode. And then we have an athlete or uh, even a coach, uh, and that's usually in our part B episode, and that's providing more of a, of a practical experience, so applying um, information. So anyway... Do I dare ask how you are, Alan McCubbin? <laughs> yeah, thanks, Steph. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, uh, it was my birthday last week and uh, my delightful daughter brought home a nice present of COVID for us from school. So day after that, uh, first half of the household got it and then uh, I tested positive yesterday uh, as of the time of this recording. So a bit hoarse, a bit clogged up in the head, but uh, thankfully nothing more serious than that touch wood. But um, yeah, no, still coherent and able to record the podcast which is good but I'll I think I'll minimize the talking and leave it to you tonight Steph yeah yeah all right so I'll just ask how I'm going then just sort of do a chat to myself yeah yeah okay well yeah what what, what has been happening <laughs> uh I had a cracker of a day Al I started off my day with uh driving to the lab and having a bit of a prank <laughs> to, to start the day uh oh, no. and um anyway but couldn't you know uh worry about that too much because I had two participants uh, in the one day today as well as a VO2 max, you know, very soon after that. So we had um, two participants running in 35 degrees. So we had four heaters um, on and uh, very close to getting them. Actually, they were getting towards 40. Um, So we, we, um, you know, uh, obviously slowed things down and they they managed to get through and nothing um, bad happened. But uh, we we had a lot of lot happening in the in the lab, that's for sure. Uh, there were also a lot a few um, things that I reckon we can add into rants. You know, like I don't think we've covered yet, um, but I know we often rant about it. Is magnesium? Uh, I can't remember if we've ranted about that. Oh one. no, we've done we've done magnesium. We did yep. mango. Okay, we um, have done it. Yep. Uh, muscle cramping, right? So um, I don't. Well, know I think we're, we're going to do probably a whole episode on that. We're going to do a whole episode. That's good. We might even do one on magnesium. Good. I I was thinking mm. that today actually as well that it would mm. be fantastic to do because I'll tell you, people were taking twenty different types of magnesium supplements and don't even know that they're taking a magnesium supplement. Mm. Um, and uh, also, I thought it might be good also just to do a little. Um, a little one on when are people in terms of nutrition perhaps perhaps practicing out of the scope of practice because that is a, a question that we do get just um, for for you know um, for coaches and and people that may be listening uh, so that might be one that we can rant about as well. Mm. All right, well, not a great day, Steph, um, mm. for you or for me, mm. but I guess in the bigger scheme of things, you know, we've got terrible flooding happening mm. further north of here mm-hmm. with, uh, you know, quite a few of the uh, previous guests on our podcast live up in that end of the world. Mm. So mm. Uh, I guess considering that and what's going on over in Europe, I think we can uh, yeah, fair to say that our issues are not that bad. Not that bad. Not that bad. No, we're, we're still, we're still kicking along. So that's good. Yeah. <laughs> 
So today's episode, Al. Yeah, it's episode 32B today. And we are just saying off air before, it's um, a really interesting coincidence. We, we were talking a while ago, um, I can't even remember, I always forget the date of this. We, we were doing a, a topic that related to mental health on Are You OK Day. We were recording mm. the intro and outro on Are You OK Day. Mm. Um, and it's International Women's Day as we're recording this. Mm. And our topic is, do <laughs> nutrition needs of female athletes change across the menstrual cycle? Um, so yeah, amazing coincidence. I don't yeah. know if we subconsciously scheduled yeah. it like that or not, but, yeah. uh, certainly I don't think it was planned. No. Um, but our guest is a uh, two-time Olympian in the 1500, yeah. uh, and now a uh, track and cross country running coach, Hilary Stellingworth, yes. uh, who is the, the wife of Trent Stellingworth, who we had on the podcast a few weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. That's exciting. All right, Steph. As usual, social media shout-outs and questions, and I know you were out last night because we were going to record it last night, and then you said, oh, sorry, I'm out, and so I'm sure you've got some podcast feedback while you were out. I do. Because that's what happens when you go out and about. <laughs> People tell you all about what, yes. what they think of the podcast. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, we'll start with the, the socials. We'll start with the socials, yeah. So Instagram. Uh, we're getting some some people overseas, which is is great, giving us some feedback. So Carson uh, Ganser, I hope I've said that um, correctly, just wanted to shoot you to a quick thank you for the fantastic content you put out. I'm a runner and exercise science student from Arizona and have found your pod to be immensely beneficial for my studies and running performance at the marathon distance, sending love all the way from the States. And um, and then he goes on further to say it could be super interesting to hear more about the influence of alternative and artificial sweeteners, so things like stevia, monk fruit, etc., and their possible influence on the gut during exercise. I'm sure you have something to say on that, Steph. Yeah, so we'll, we'll um, look into that one for you and um, we'll either have an episode or we'll, we'll cover it in a, um, in a, in a quick question. Uh, and... We also had a lot of love for our summary of the topic on nutritional needs of younger athletes uh, and um, many people were sharing it um, in uh, their stories in, on Instagram. So thank you very much for that. And then on Twitter, Al, we had, um, a, again, similarly, a lot of love for the Twitter thread on young athletes, in particular the Youth Fitness Coalition, YFC, which is a non-profit uh, in the US promoting physical activity in kids, um, they shared it. So that's super cool. Um, so thank you for that. Brett Singer is a sports dietitian in Houston, Texas. Wow. Um, and he uh, also shared it and is a longtime supporter of the, the podcast. Um, so thank you, Brett. And thank you to Sports Dietitians Australia for sharing the podcast to their followers also. They're, they're really um, supportive. So thanks for that too. And then the pilot study, oh, yeah, nice one now, making me say this word. Um, I'll say CBD, cannabidiol and exercise. Correct. Thank you. Discussed by uh, Danielle McCartney on episode 17A of the podcast. That's now actually been published. So, yeah, well done um, to Danielle and her colleagues. And we recently shared that on Twitter a few a few days ago. Mm, and there's some really interesting findings from that that pilot study. So uh, it's not definitive, you know, it's a small number of people, but I think it's really showing some some promise to follow up with a, a bigger study, which is I'm pretty sure what they're in the that's process fine. of now, which is great. Yeah, that's cool. That's good. Uh, and then Facebook, um, we missed this one. How dare we miss this one? But Chris uh, Rauch put in a recommendation for the podcast back in late February and he wrote fantastic interviews with expert guests. Um, and I know Chris is um, actually, yeah, off, often talking about it uh, and, and listening. I don't know why he continues to want to listen to our voice out after he is around us in the lab, but for whatever reason. Um, he's a, <laughs> yeah. And speaking of the lab, uh, I was in there, obviously, before I got COVID into the household, but uh, mm. I was in there the other week uh, and Chris was in there working um, and an ultra runner, Simone, was in there. Yes. and saw me, heard the voice. I've had it a couple of times actually when I've walked in there and like a, a study participant or someone has heard my voice and like, oh, you're the guy on the podcast. <laughs> so, yeah, she, she was just saying that she really enjoyed the podcast. So thanks for that. 
That's thanks sweet. for the, um, the compliment, Simone. Yeah, thank you. And so tell us about last last night and your uh, going out and about, Steph. I'm sure you've had feedback as usual. Well, I gave some feedback actually, Al. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, this sounds interesting. No, in a good way. I was just out for dinner with a, for a family birthday dinner and, um, yeah, just uh, someone that was super interested in running and was talking and chatting and, yeah, sort of we're talking about a lot of the questions we had. And I said, well, actually, I don't need to talk any further about beer because we've got it on our podcast. I don't need to talk about caffeine because it's it's on the podcast. Well, I was going to say, you could have just said, Steph, each week we take a deep dive into the most common nutrition questions runners, cyclists and triathletes ask. <laughs> I should have done that. So, yeah, I've been kind of just, you know, adding on the promotion, same in the lab today when I get um, them the asking those questions but that's why we did it as well you know we actually are wanting to to help educate and there's so much confusion and there's so much content out there and we can't always you know cover it um, but um, yeah that's that's what we've got the podcast for so yeah mm, absolutely yeah uh, and then just a reminder um, that you can find us on social media at the long munch uh so on yeah twitter facebook instagram and then on all your popular um, podcast platforms yeah what's uh want to talk a bit more about today's episode al yeah well as we said before it's uh, episode 32b today do nutrition needs of female athletes change across the menstrual cycle um with our guest hillary stellingworth and my voice will probably conk out to do an intro so i'll yep. hand it over to you to uh, introduce hillary Okay, awesome. Uh, so Hilary, as you mentioned, she's a two-time Olympian. Um, so in 2012, she reached the semifinals um, coming 14th. Um, and then she also went to the Olympics in 2016. She's a 1,500-metre runner. She's been a member of 10 Canadian uh, national teams um, and a 1,500-metre national champ in 2007 and 2008. She is relatively uh, a new recent head coach um, and program leader of the University of Victoria, so the Vikes, uh, cross-country and track program for men and women, and she's contributed uh, significantly to, to the program. And in 2020, Hillary received her first international coaching opportunity as assistant coach for Team Canada during the Pan-American Cross-Country Championship. And the list just goes on now. Like she's um, just as impressive as her partner Trent in terms mm, of everything she's achieved. Yeah, and I think because of Trent's sort of background as an exercise scientist and a coach uh, with a particular interest in nutrition, um, obviously, you know, Hillary gets involved with some of that stuff and she's been very intimately involved in, in a lot of the things that we're going to be discussing today. Um, particularly as sort of Canada have done a lot of sort of probably world leading, I would say, projects uh, in terms of education for athletes um, and, and pushing mm -hmm. the science forward in, in this mm -hmm. area of um, um, en well, energy availability, which we talked about before and its effect on menstrual function mm -hmm. um, and, and sort of female athlete specific issues as well. So, yeah, yeah. great, great to yeah. have her here. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Let's uh, get stuck into it. Yep, let's do it. Hilary Stellingworth, welcome to The Long Munch. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being on. Um, yeah, we uh, chatted to, to Trent um, recently and gave him a bit of an elbow to help us get you on. So uh, he did a good job. Thank you, Trent. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, you've got a really impressive track and field running career. Um, so I guess starting on that, what, what sort of first got you interested in running? Really, I got interested in school. I did lots of sports as a young kid, but um, the city that I grew up in was really had a good tradition of track and field. And I was lucky enough, even at the age of like 10, to have a teacher who was into track and field and really encouraged me to join the track team and um, actually she's my grade three teacher she's the first person oh, wow. who told me I could go to the Olympics um, oh, because wow. I've been all the boys and girls and she ended up coming to my first Olympics oh, my so gosh. she That's was like cool. such an inspiration 
So yeah, I started in in grade school, but I also played pretty high level soccer until uh, my last year of high school. Um, but yeah, got into it through high school as well. Really good coaches and a good club coach. Just a really good system of support and um, good role models along the way to just encourage the balance of being a young athlete, but holding back so that you peak later in your years. So I think that was really important for me. Mm, yeah, yeah. Um, and what are the highlights, I guess, in your career? Um, I'm sure there's there's many, but um, maybe if you sort of, if there's sort of two standout ones? I would say that my first highlight would be, and we were just talking about this, the 2006 Commonwealth Games in Melbourne, um, because that was my first major championship as a senior athlete. Mm-hmm. And it was such a fantastic championship. Melbourne put on a great games and it was a really positive experience for me um, just to be as part of a, a major games. I stayed in Melbourne for a month and was able to soak up the environment. And uh, we had lots of Aussie friends who came and watched and I just really, really enjoyed it. So it was such a positive experience. I don't even really remember how I placed, but it was uh, good competitive. I remember how loud the cricket grounds were, the MCG, when um, Sarah Jameson, who was one of the Aussies, was sprinting to the finish. And I just like couldn't even hear myself breathe. So <laughs> that was just like such a cool experience for me. And that really springboarded my passion to try to keep making national teams. And then my second would be my first Olympics uh, mm-hmm. in 2012. I missed the 2008 Olympics because I was unfortunately anemic at trials mm-hmm. and that whole season. And so I missed uh, 08, even though I had the time from the year before and won trials. And so then 2012 was just such a, a great experience because I worked really hard for <laughs> four years mm-hmm. to, to make sure that I make that team and actually qualified with food poisoning in the Rome Diamond League. So it was quite a feat to just make it. Um, And then I was, you know, really at the top of my game in terms of competition. So, yeah, two standouts for sure. Um, And you're now head coach for the University of Victoria Cross Country and Track Programs. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so is coaching something you always aspired to kind of eventually do after, I guess, retiring as an elite athlete? And what kind of sparked your interest um, in this? Yeah, good question. I had a lot of passions and I wasn't necessarily directing myself towards coaching. I studied journalism and communications in university and did some freelance writing for a while. And then I um, started volunteer coaching at an international school while we lived abroad in um, Switzerland and found that I really loved the mentorship of teaching. So I got a teaching degree and started um, teaching and coaching and then um, started volunteering as a university coach and found that I could meld my two passions of running and teaching and mentorship into uh, coaching. So here I am. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and in, and sounds like you're loving it. I am. I'm loving it a lot. It's um, it's great to work with the age group of university athletes because there's a lot of development that happens in those years from a life perspective and from figuring things out, character development, um, finding your passion in life and in sport. So I just um, you know, the first time you're away from home and and just uh, learning about so many things. So I feel I had a good positive experience in university. Mm -hmm. So I want to share that with my athletes, but also trying to find the ones that are able to move on past university and the sport and and give them the confidence to know that they they can do that too. Yeah, it's interesting. We were talking a couple of weeks ago, actually, our topic was around sort of um, young athletes. And we we're talking to a coach that I work with, Danielle Stefano, about that kind of transition from sort of end of high school and that sort of when you're not quite a, um, a senior yet, but you're sort of going through that transition period and how critical it is and how many people drop out at that time because of various factors, whether it's injury or losing passion for the sport and all those kind of things. So yeah, it must be great to be able to sort of work in that in that area or with those kind of athletes and, and, you know, have that real focus on that and and awareness of of those sort of issues and help people through it. Yeah, it is a big transition time period. 
because um, it's stressful to start university. It's overwhelming to be away from home for the first time. And so there's a lot of factors in mental health and stress and just life. But if you can get the right balance and figure it out, sport is such a gift. And so being able to do that on top of your studies and being a part of a team where you have the support of peers is, is really great. So um, being through COVID in the last two years, you really see how appreciative the athletes are this year to have that team aspect and now the competitiveness again. So. And, um, yeah, you and your husband make quite the clever track and field uh, team. Um, are we right that Trent, um, who we had on not that long ago, coached you? And how was that in terms of mixing business and family? Yeah, you know, um, it was – there's always challenging times in, you know, the dinner table talk and <laughs> talk about training versus um, life stuff. And now, you know, we have we had a child in between Olympics. So um, the balance of that. But it was also really amazing because I had a partner who really understood the sport and the demands of the sports. So um, and, you know, could train with me for a lot of my career. And so I had a, a pace bunny as well. Wow. <laughs> so it was it was really good to, to share that. And we've been all over the world with sports. So grateful to be able to do that. And, you know, as you know, Trent's very intelligent as a physiologist and coach. So I think that is the best blend. If you can find somebody who understands both, um, I was really fortunate to have his support. And I had um, as well a, a main coach who wrote programming, but Trent was on the ground. So I think that was a really good balance for us. Yep. Mm, yep. Yeah, yeah. um, Cause he could always blame it on the coach if you didn't like a session or something sure. like that. I didn't write it you don't you gotta yeah. do it <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah and so um Alan and I feel like we were saying before like we know you because um we read a really um fantastic case study that Trent published in um 2018 uh and that was in the International Journal of Sport and Exercise Metabolism and that um, detailed your kind of your science-based approach to body composition um, over your nine-year um, middle distance career. Um, can you, I guess, give us just a bit of a brief um, overview or the main take-home messages um, of this particular paper? Yeah, I think um, what I what, no, it's been a while since I've read the paper, but um, <laughs> what I think is important is that this uh, data came from later in my career. It was when I was a mature athlete. It wasn't when I was a junior young athlete, and we collected kind of natural data over several years before we started to tweak things. So I had the opportunity to see naturally how my body composition was evolving and how I was adapting as an athlete and then starting to pay attention a little bit more later in my career when, you know, I had done a lot of different types of training and we were ready to tweak things um, from a nutrition standpoint and body composition. But I luckily was a very healthy athlete. I had very minimal injuries and a regular menstrual cycle. So there were just a lot of components that are important to check off before undertaking, um, you know, this, this type of, um, I guess, scientific approach, and also having a nutritionist and a physiologist who understands that, um, you know, what the components are and risks and rewards. So again, yeah, I was a healthy senior athlete. I wouldn't recommend junior athletes pay attention to this. I don't even, I think like it's so, so important that you take care of a lot of other components first. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, the, the data we collected over time, what, what helped me was knowing that at the end of every season, how important it was to rejuvenate for me yes. and to gain weight back after being competitive season mm -hmm. and, um, and to just how important that was in my recovery each year and how much that impacted the consistency that I had in my career mm. over, you know, 12, 14 years. Mm. So the data showed that although we manipulated body composition with peaking and some nutrition each track season, um, I was able to come back into a healthy body composition and weight um, each fall. Mm. And really try to maintain that through most of the year. 
Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I think that's the take home that you got to have the checks of getting a regular period and making sure that you're refueling and recovering and that the injuries are, you know, kept at bay and that you're able to train. We're tracking training uh, cycles and have a really pretty sophisticated training log. Um, so there was a lot of things in place that I think an expert needs to take care of. And a lot of things we didn't necessarily try to manipulate early on in my career and just like let things happen naturally. So yeah, so it was a good compilation of that, both of those things. Yeah. And I think what's really cool in that data and you sort of see, as, as you described, you know, your, your um, I guess, body fat or, you know, skin folds, I think it was, is the, the data point sort of sits at a certain level most of the season and then drops sort of coming into those sort of key competition um, points of the season. And then, as you said, goes back up as you sort of finish off that competitive year and, and then repeats each year and you see that real pattern repeating over and over but you also see that it gets progressively a little bit lower year on year as well was that something that was sort of a conscious choice or just something that kind of happened naturally it happened naturally and it is something I think is really important for young athletes to note because I think when you get into your late 20s and early 30s your body naturally can get leaner and so you don't have to try to get there. It's just been years of training that naturally allows your body to, um, it doesn't mean that you can't run fast at a higher body percentage. Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. It's just that your body naturally is getting to that point where you've had years of that training and peaking and it knows what to do. The body's amazing, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I learned that through pregnancy and coming out of it too. <laughs> your, your body really responds to what the challenges that you put um, forth and also um, you know, what you do year to year. So it wasn't a conscious thing. We didn't try to like get leaner and leaner. Definitely not. Um, in fact, I, you know, gained muscle mass and, um, and subsequently weight in some of those years. But, uh, what was important that I was getting personal bests and I was able to do more training and handle more training. Yeah. And um, can I ask, were you able to, so did your menstrual cycle, um, was that maintained throughout, like, you know, when your body composition did sort of go down, um, menstrual, um, yeah, cycle was, was um, I guess, normal? It was normal for uh, about nine to ten months a year. Yep. And then I would lose it for a couple months a year when I was in really peak condition. Yeah. Um, yep. And it's interesting the factors of that because I don't know necessarily if it was the body fat and maybe Trent can tell you more than me, but there'd be some times where I'd be in the indoor season and I'd be maybe stressed about trying to make like world indoors or Mm. trying to really push it, but not be at a low, as low of a body composition as the outdoor season. And I might lose um, or might, you know, have a a change in my menstrual cycle. And Mm so there's other factors involved as well like stress and stuff um but yeah in general I was really really regular except for those couple of months where I was in peak form and then it would return as soon as um you know I pulled back on training and and um regenerated yeah and that was all tracked yeah yeah yeah. And I think that's a really important point. We were talking to Claire Minahan last mm. week um, about obviously the fact with, you know, low energy availability, you can lose your cycle. And, and obviously, you know, if that happens for a prolonged period of time, that has your other consequences, which we've talked about in previous podcasts. But I guess that message there is, you know, that importance of not trying to be in that sort of perfect quote unquote body composition all year round, because it mm. does put you at that increased risk. Mm. And so, you know, if you lose a cycle for a month or two, it's probably not going to be the end of the world two months out of 12 in the year in terms of getting enough estrogen to maintain bone density and all those sorts of things. That's right. Yeah. Long-term low energy availability is really the detriment of athletes uh, sustaining and maintaining a long career. And unfortunately, it's what... um, impacts our junior athletes becoming good senior athletes because mm. it's in those years and i would say the big impact for me was that in my high school years i was really healthy and had a normal menstrual cycle so i wasn't pushing myself in those bone building years and it wasn't until again later in my career as you can see in the case study that we 
were able to, you know, manipulate things or I was, you know, tracking body composition, but I had been well on my way to um, a regular menstrual cycle for several, several years. Mm -hmm. And so those peak years of 18 to 23, I think, or 16 to 23, where you're laying down that foundation of bone density, I think that's the key. If you get that in those early years, then you're much better off in your later years, even if you're tweaking things or, or, you know, you're not having 12 months a year of a menstrual cycle. So that's what I think young girls need to realize. It's so hard to have patience because you want to run fast early. You want to make all these teams. And I think that's why more education needs to happen with parents and coaches to say, listen, the years that you want to peak are in your late twenties or early thirties, at least for middle distance and distance. So if we want to get them there, we need to hold them back and not get greedy with the training and not get greedy with um, push, pulling them from um, getting their period and puberty and all that, um, because it's so, so crucial and they're going to be in trouble later. Mm. And it's probably why you see that, you know, quite a lot of junior elite athletes don't make it to seniors. That's right. And more women, right, than men. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Okay, um, so our topic today is do nutrition needs of female athletes change across the menstrual cycle? And we've discussed in past episodes that I guess a lot of female athletes, and as, as we just talked about now, don't have a regular cycle, and that could be possibly due to low energy availability, so they're not fueling enough for their, their training load. Do you get a sense, you know, just from observing um, you know, the running community that, that you're in contact with, do you feel that having a normal cycle is the norm or the exception in in the athletes that you've seen i would say that 10 years ago and previous to that it was um accepted that it wasn't um, a big deal to lose your menstrual cycle and even medically like i don't i think i've had athletes whose doctors have told them oh you know you're you're endurance athlete so no big deal um but now with the education that we're seeing from some of these studies coming through and um, with reds and, you know, more education, I think that it's now known that it isn't okay. And it does uh, affect long term sustainability and bone density and, you know, a broad of other hormonal impacts. So I think now the athletes that I work with and the athletes that I speak with and see, they understand that um, and know that it is really, really important to get your menstrual cycle for the majority of the year. Yep. And is that because of education that you've had to do with them? Or do you think that that message and awareness is getting sort of broader now that people are already becoming aware of that? A little bit of both. I have been um, talking to my athletes for uh, several years now about REDS and I've been lucky enough to have, you know, expert in my household, but also, mm-hmm. um, you know, working with Margot Mountjoy, who is an expert doctor mm-hmm. and she was my doctor um, early on in my career. And so there, there are a lot of practitioners that have been educating um, athletes and putting out different presentations online. And I think that that has also been impactful. The online world is very, very different now than it was 10 years ago. And so we're getting um, more information out. So I think it's more broad and it is coming more mainstream that athletes are understanding that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and one of the questions that we, we spoke to Claire about last week, and, and I don't think there's sort of a clear answer one way or the other for this, um, is whether performance actually changes across the different phases of the menstrual cycle. Do you have any thoughts on that in terms of either your own experience or other athletes that you've worked with, whether you feel that there is differences across the phases of the cycle or, or not so much? I think it's really hard to tell because mm. there are so many other factors that impact performance. And to my knowledge, there hasn't been any research to really be able to nail that down. And I think it would be really challenging to do so because you can't change the day of the Olympic final and you can't change when your races are. And so all you can do is try to keep track of consistencies. Um, I haven't experienced personally, like sometimes I thought I did, had a bad race first day of my period. It must be that. But then it's like, well, you know, maybe I was training really hard. I was on a heavy training load and um maybe i didn't eat enough breakfast or i was stressed or i didn't sleep because my kid wasn't sleeping like there's so many things that Mm. i think it's really really hard to nail down um so i i don't necessarily think that there are changes for me and the athletes that i've worked with it's pretty variable where 
you can't really nail it down. So I just asked them to track and find, look at consistencies and repeatability and just see if they can find things. But I also don't want them to get too psychologically impacted by that because again, you can't change the day of the Olympic final. And so I, maybe I'm a little old school. You got to suck it up and run hard no matter what. And, um, know that you're going to have good days and bad days. And there's so many other things that can impact that. Yeah. Yeah. No, fair enough. Um, and what about on the training side of things? Like you hear some people talking about, you know, changing the way you train according to the phase of the cycle. Is that something you've ever sort of come across or been involved with? Yeah, uh, I've, I've heard of, it seems like it's a little bit of a fad right now, to be honest. And there's tons of trackers and things, but unfortunately the research isn't there yet. And I'm not sure if collecting the research via an app is the right way to do it. Sure, you can get good information, but, um, you know, I have a phone call with Kirstie Elliott Sale tomorrow, and she's one of the leading researchers on a menstrual cycle and training, and she doesn't have it figured out yet. So, yeah. so I think that um, there's a lot more to do. I'm not saying you shouldn't do it. Absolutely. There is not enough research specific to female athletes. That is for sure. Mm. And so I do think maybe down the road, we, we might find things. But as of now, I, I haven't. Um, I'm not a fan of changing training unless an athlete, you know, is feeling really terrible. And I have to say, I had pretty light menstrual symptoms. So um, I treat every athlete as an individual and it's important to have the conversations to understand where they're at and how they're doing. If someone's having a really rough day. There's no point in pushing them beyond that. Um, but if they can get through a hard workout on a rough day, that gives confidence to say like, I can do this. Like I can race when I'm not feeling great. And how empowering is that? Because that's what you got to do. That's what kind of endurance running or training is all about. Right? Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. Sure. And on that um, topic of sort of tracking, tracking your cycle, do you find either as an athlete or a coach, do you feel that that's a worthwhile exercise doing? And if so, what sort of things do you generally like to track as part of that? I think it's very worthwhile. I have, um, I ask our athletes to just put it in their training log. I mean, it's pretty simple to on a pencil paper kind of thing or, mm. um, you know, on a Google Doc or whatever. However, you do your training log to note it, to note the length of your period and the frequency and any details are helpful as well. And again, I look for consistency and repeatability. And when there would be red flags um, of, you know, losing a period or the change in the number of days or, you know, how heavy it is or then you know it's worth a conversation and um, if that changes consistently maybe doing ovulation sticks to see if somebody's actually ovulating because we know that just bleeding doesn't mean ovulation so um, but again I, I think it's worth tracking I think there's easy ways to do it and then um, talking to experts to to be able to understand it and going forward with like a blood test for hormones and stuff would be uh, a step if there were red flags um, so looking at, I guess, the yeah, nutritional side of it um, in terms of the menstrual cycle. So when you were competing, did you receive any education or advice about nutrition in relation to the menstrual cycle? No, it, I mean, I had lots of nutrition advice and, um, mm. you know, we, we talked about nutrition, but not nothing specific to the menstrual cycle because again i think there's so many other factors and we do our best as athletes to track and we love to analyze that is for sure um but i can't say that i was ever able to nail down um you know the uh, races because of this maybe you know mispacing or being overtired not timing the peak or the taper right um but i was never able to nail it down to the time of my cycle and we kept track of that too. So I would say it was more likely a training error or a pacing error rather than where I was in my cycle. Um, but we did practice some nutrition stuff. Like I'll, I'll say like when I was on going to get my period or when I was on my period, I craved chocolate. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only uh, female. No, you're not. <laughs> So maybe that's the body saying you need more carbs or whatever. So I really just think it's important to listen to your body and to to be able to to monitor and just self-analyze what works for you because you can talk to lots of other athletes, but 
again, I went through this with pregnancy. No one pregnancy is the same. And I don't know if one athlete is exactly the same. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, there's lots of, I guess, conflicting um, information in this particular area. Um, is this something that you notice as well that, um, you know, your athletes get confused about it? Um, and why do you think that is the case? Yeah, I think there are conflicting um, information out there that is confusing for athletes because they can't sift through what is um, research driven and what is business driven. Mm. And so unfortunately, there are a lot of people out there that want to make money off of the newest app or the newest training regime or whatever. Um, and I really believe in tried and true and what's working and tracking over time. There isn't a magic bullet. And so maybe we will find down the road that there's specific ways of doing things, but uh, it is confusing to, to hear people quote things that aren't validated and they aren't research driven and that's a big problem it's a big problem because it's so accessible with the internet and it's so accessible in lots of different avenues unfortunately so i think it's very important to know where your evidence is coming from know what who you're listening to is um you know informed and and then ask questions mm, yeah yeah um and did you notice or do anything differently in terms of your nutrition, um, depending on what phase of cycle you were in, in terms of food choices, so carbs versus fat, hydration strategies or use of nutrition supplements? So did you notice, um, let's say, you know, sometimes when you're in a particular phase of your cycle, they say your um, body temperature goes up a bit. Um, so you sort of feel hotter or, and so you might increase your, um, hydration. Did you do anything specific to that? Or, um, as you said, just kind of listen to your body and go with that. Yeah, definitely. As an athlete, listen to my body. Um, it was much different now, um, when, you know, you're going through pregnancy and coming out of pregnancy and, mm. or trying to get pregnant, then I think you pay attention to some of those yeah. things like body heat and, um, stuff like that. But as an athlete, Again, there's so many things going on where you're in, you could be at altitude or you could be in heat training. Um, and so knowing what exactly is the factor, but I would normally just listen to my body. And so if I felt like I needed more hydration, it could be a number of factors. It doesn't, didn't really matter to me what was the cause more that yeah. I was, you know, throwing in noon tablets to hydrate more if I noticed that, you know, I wasn't um, hydrating properly. So I don't know, I guess I could say like, I don't care what the cause is. Mm -hmm. I just care about listening to my body day to day and month to month because the training cycles change and mm -hmm. then your macronutrient requirements mm -hmm. change as well. Mm -hmm. So that would be my take home message to the athletes is to say, sure, there's lots of things happening and your body's changing and you're more hungry at heavier trainings and maybe menstrual cycle. Mm -hmm. But let's just listen to the signs that your body is telling you mm. and um, note that. Yep, yep. And so that leads on really well to the next point then. Um, so in terms of suggesting whether someone should alter anything in, in terms of their nutrition relating to their menstrual status, um, then I guess you potentially would advise that, in, um, for example, if they're in, not in a regular cycle you know, you, yeah. Yeah. Like, I think that it is important to pay attention and you need to know what works for your body, but I would, um, recommend that you do that anytime, no matter what. <laughs> so not yeah. necessarily in what phase you're in. And I don't know, I have to be honest that I don't never know if I paid attention to like what phase I was in. It was either I had my period or it didn't. Yeah. And it was in yeah. this training cycle or not. It's not until you like go and try to have kids that you really worry about that kind of stuff at least me totally yeah no right? I totally agree yeah yeah um but more so you know like if the athlete or something you know then you find out they don't have the the cycle they don't have the um menstruation um then it's like okay well yeah um let's look at what's what's happening in terms of um why why is that the case and yeah is it an energy availability issue 
Absolutely. Yes. Then you for sure need to have the conversation. I mean, I have athlete intake questionnaire that I um, do with any athlete that comes in. And that's part of the questioning is, you know, how much volume are you doing? Has that increased or decreased? Has it weight changed or not, you know, like stayed Mm -hmm. stable? Do you get your period? Are you on a contraceptive? Because those are important questions to ask. You need those components. And, um, you know, are you, do you have any dietary restrictions? Because um, then you ask about iron and things like that. So, so I think there's a whole, and then I'm not the expert in those things. Then it's okay. Who do we put you to? Do we put you to a nutritionist or um, a doctor and and what team do we need to put around you to help support you? So you can keep, um, make sure your health is in check because that's important component to being a successful athlete. That's really good. Um, Do you, do you suggest as a coach that that's something that um, coaches should be trying to to do, uh, you know, in terms of when they have a new runner join the club, um, you know, that that's something that they should consider is doing something like a questionnaire. And then as Claire said, when we talked to her the other day, is then knowing what to do with that information. Um, yeah. yeah, I for sure. I think you need to know your athletes and some coaches don't necessarily feel comfortable asking those questions. And so it might be that you have uh, an, a parent or a, another coach or, you know, support staff with you. So it really depends on the level and the age of the athlete mm-hmm. and, you know, that they're consenting to giving you that information that they f- don't feel they have to. But, um, you know, I always tell the athletes ahead of time, it's up to you what information you want to give me, but I'm here to help you and support you in in this journey. And so um, these are the questions I think are important for me as a coach to understand about you. And and most of them have no problem giving me that information because they understand that it comes from a place of caring and, and helping. And I would absolutely recommend that coaches know their athletes because you could be trying to implement a training program and it's all for nothing if you don't know what the health status of your athlete is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Good one. Okay. So to bring this all together, Hilary, I guess it sounds like from what you're saying, you know, the conversations that you're having with your athletes is not so much about, you know, how your cycle changes from one phase to the next and, and what that means in terms of training or nutrition, but simply are you having a regular cycle? Because that's a far bigger issue with, much bigger implications than you know whether you're in the follicular phase or the luteal phase and what that means in terms of your day-to-day training and nutrition. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It's it's making sure that you're getting a cycle, and then the next step, if um, you know you're not sure that that's a real cycle, is is ovulation, um, because yeah. then we know that you're producing the right hormones to lay down that bone and get you know the right hormones for muscle building and all of the other good stuff that comes with going through puberty, which um, is important factor. So yeah, I think getting a period naturally without being on contraceptive is really important because we also know that a lot of these contraceptives, unless it's, uh, you know, copper based IUD is not sufficient enough for improving bone density. And, um, and so it's almost like a fake fix. Mm. I mean, pregnancy isn't an ideal thing for performance either. I get that. But (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that was going to be my next question, actually, is, is contraceptive, because obviously you have a lot of athletes that are using various forms of contraception. Um, and in those cases, you don't really have a good sense of whether they're having a regular cycle because the contraception is kind of altering that. Um, so in those situations, what are you sort of looking for for the athletes that you're working with and, and what questions are you ask in those ones? Yeah, it is tough. A lot of, especially the elite athletes I work with, are on like more of a copper IUD or, um, you know, a low dose hormone um, IUD. So you have a bit more information, but then you're looking for adaptation to training and fatigue. So in the training logs that I use, we have, you know, acute chronic training phases, and we look at um, RPE, so uh, a rate of perceived exertion, and that's multiplied by how much they're doing um, for training load, so a TRIMP score. And we're hoping that that goes up when training goes up and it comes down when you're recovering. So looking at that, looking at their comments, I have a mental health check. If I'm seeing, and it's color coded, you know, it's based on how they're feeling and it's um, based on the mental health continuum. So if I'm seeing a lot of reds all of a sudden and, um, and things that are involved with mental health and they're not adapting to training and they're tired all the time, 
then you're asking questions like, okay, are we getting enough fuel or you're not sleeping enough? I also have a sleep tracker. So there's a lot of things that I'm just tracking to see if there's reasons for the lack of adaptation and, and training that evolves. If it's one week, no big deal. But if it's uh, continually, then you ask, you need to check. Yep. So it sounds like thinking about that relative energy deficiency in sport model, which has all those different components. You obviously menstrual function is one of those. But when that's sort of masked by contraception, you look at the other factors involved in that model. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 You can tell that you live with a um, person that loves stardom when it drink, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, I have to say that I do not code my Excel files. I definitely use Trent to say, can we please code this and color code it and do the um, all the number crunching, but I absolutely use it and understand it as a coach because I, I really value being able to track things over time and again, looking at consistency because um, coming from experience of being in a long-term career, I think that was the key for me is just I have training logs of pen and paper for years mm -hmm. and knowing what worked and where my body was at and I think that was really helpful. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And just, I guess, in the, the broader area of sports nutrition, uh, beyond, you know, menstrual cycle, do you think there are other things that you think are either frequently forgotten or, or you know, on the flip side to that, maybe really overrated that people think they're really important when they're really not in terms of you know, the female athletes that you work with? I think that what the problems I see are, um, or the challenges I see are, are the um, different restrictions to all the opportunities with different types of food. So veganism and vegetarian and all, I can't even keep up with all the different diets, but that becomes a challenge when you are asking your body to train at a high level and, you know, do however many hours, six to 10 to 15 hours of training in a week, because if you can't get enough calories in because you're restricting, um, then you got to figure it out and, and really consciously make a decision, talk, a new, talk to a nutritionist and come up with other ideas. And I respect all of the athletes' decisions personally to choose a specific diet, but I think the challenge and what goes maybe undernoted is iron as a factor. So not realizing like, okay, I want to be vegan or vegetarian, but and my iron will be fine if I take an iron supplement, but that's not always the case. And then if mm. you're not getting enough calories, you're also not absorbing iron. Mm. So those are the big ones that I look for is, is the iron and then enough carbs because, you know, it's all great to eat quinoa all day, but are you getting enough carbs? Like just go eat some pasta sometime. It's okay. <laughs> yep. So I guess for me, it's, I am so lucky to have grown up in a household where it wasn't a factor at all. Um, to restrict eating or to count calories or even to be like fat free when that was a thing. Like my mom was such a good role model for me. We ate um, everything. So I think that really impacted me as a young athlete. And then of course, later on. So I would just, I urge athletes to be kind to themselves and know that they need to recover and, and um, you know, just make sure that you're getting enough. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Um, thank you so much. Um, yeah, wealth of info and just really good practical information there and um, some really good points for coaches, I think, to take on board with their athletes. Um, I get to do the fun uh, bit now and uh, it's our bonus round where our listeners get to know or learn a little bit more about you. Um, so if you could go back to the end of high school and start again down a completely different career path, uh, what would it be? Oh, I probably would have been a soccer player. I had to decide between soccer and track and field. And our Canadian soccer team has won lots of medals. And it's very hard to win an Olympic medal in track. <laughs> Not that it isn't in soccer too, but they've been quite successful. And so, uh, yeah, it's been awesome to see. And I loved, loved soccer. So I probably would have chose that path as an athlete. Um, yeah. Yeah. Do you still um, play a bit or kick the... the um football around um with the kids 
Yeah, with with my kids now I do, um, but I was always worried as an athlete not to get injured to yeah. try a different sport or whatever. Like I just picked up downhill skiing this year because I was <laughs> I didn't want to do it as as an athlete. So there's lots of things that you just like focus on running yeah. in you yeah. know turning left around a track and that's about it. <laughs> and um, your favorite place to escape from work. Anywhere in the forest. So I just love being out um, in trails running and I come up with my best ideas and just get a lot of thought processing. So it doesn't always have to be with other people, but I really just love being in nature. And for following Trent on Twitter, do you guys live pretty much next to a forest or backing onto a forest or something? We do. Yeah, we live like uh, 800 meters from a big forest with like a 10K dirt trail around it. Wow. Awesome. Yeah. Steph's looking very jealous there. Yeah, I am. (laughs) (laughs) Visit any time. It's a great place. (laughs) I got that recorded now. Um, (laughs) uh, Yeah, what's a sport you've always wanted to try but you haven't had the chance? So I guess you've just said downhill skiing. Um, Any other sports you're thinking of taking up now? Um. Mountain biking is something that I really would love to try. I'm 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 a little bit scared of heights and like steep downhills. Yeah. So I always want to challenge myself to do that. And always like I, we know Catherine Pendrel quite well, and she's a amazing mountain biker for Canada. And I just always think how brave and amazing that they can crush the trails on a bike because I'm com- more comfortable on my feet. So yeah. I would love to be good at mountain biking. Yeah. 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 Um, you can get some good stacks in that one too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, favorite moment from the Tokyo Olympics or the or the Paralympics, or even if you've got one of each. Yeah. Um, favorite moment. I mean, track obviously is my passion, and I help coach Jen Lalonde, um, the Canadian steeplechaser, and so. Um, watching her in the heats actually was amazing because she basically like qualified for the final on her own kind of running alone and so that was really neat to see because we worked so all year on pacing and (laughs) she'll hate me for saying this but she's not a great pacer but she (laughs) nailed it in the heats she just nailed it she was so even and qualified on time and she just did such a good job and so as a coach you're like yes when it counts you just nailed it yeah so uh yeah so that was an amazing um, moment for me and just watching the whole canadian team um and then yeah i think um evan dumphy right um doing the race walk and getting a medal was like oh that was really cool too yeah. yeah, yeah, we were lucky to have him nearly, was he our second episode? Our... Yeah, second ever episode because yeah. we yeah. had Louise Burke on the first one talking about the supernova. Oh, yeah, Evan great. talking about great. his experience doing it as a participant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. he's a firecracker. Mm. He is, he is. He's, he's, well, he's running for in, like local politics or something now. Yeah, that's oh, right. Really? Yeah. Yeah, that's wow. right. Yeah. Wow. Um, and what do you, final question, what are you most looking forward to in 2022? Most looking forward to being able to travel freely <laughs> um, to competitions, but also just for leisure. Uh, right now I'm planning a training camp in Oregon for our team and going to, you know, Hayward Field and being able to just be at normal competitions. So mm. it's just yeah, looking forward to not having to continually pivot and change plans, just being able to plan and um, enjoy being whatever normal is, trying yeah. to be normal. Yeah, 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 yeah. Awesome. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It was uh, really insightful and great questions. Awesome. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much to Hilary. That was amazing to hear her experience. Um, Thank you for being so open and and able to share your experiences, Hilary, and um, I guess the the bigger picture as now a coach as well. Um, I think, Steph, you and I, we always listen back to the interviews before we record these intros and outros, and and we were saying this is one of the the favourite ones that we've done, Mm. which is is really great. So I might get you, again, because my voice is a bit croaky, to Mm. do the summary on this. And, of course, the question is, do nutrition needs of female athletes change across the menstrual cycle? Okay. So um, 
Alan's wisdom, just my voice um, doing this summary for people, okay? <laughs> so um, no, in short, as uh, Claire um, also said, but I guess, yeah, the, the bigger picture really is, is thinking about your training cycles versus the menstrual cycle as such um, and really needing to adjust your nutrition based on what your training load and demands are. Um, that seems to be much more important than what, you know, we think is that sort of the theoretical needs across the, the cycle. Um, however, Hilary did point out that um, everyone is individual, as we know, uh, and some women um, may experience um, symptoms across the cycle and definitely do, um, and therefore they may feel the need to make a adjustments um, in order to be able to manage those symptoms. So um, the feedback is listen to, to your body and rather than kind of following general, you know, rules and information that you might see on online, that, you know, because that, that information is, is very much theory and it's not taken from really high quality data yet at this stage. So, so kind of be a bit more in tune with, with how you're feeling, I think. And much more important is not whether your needs change across a cycle, but more importantly is do you actually have a cycle? And Claire said in her, in that episode before, was amenorrhea is common, um, but that doesn't mean that it's normal. Okay, so we should be looking into it um, if we are experiencing it. Um, and it's the long-term absence of a cycle that is um, more of a, of a concern. And as, as we asked Hillary, you know, even when she was looking at, we, we spoke to her about body composition changes, um, she would lose one to two cycles a year. Um, but it, that probably wasn't detrimental so much because um, it wasn't, you know, the whole year round, um, it was tracked and monitored. Um, and she would very soon get, get back on track um, with her cycle. Um, also, just the, the definition of amenorrhea is three consecutive lost cycles. And, and tracking your cycle can be really helpful um, in order to pick up changes. And yeah, monitoring your cycle along with monitoring sleep and training, etc. So collecting a range of data to then be able to tell you a story. And what I really got out from, from um, Hillary is that she's fantastic um, with tracking that data. And um, what I thought was awesome was giving her athletes a, a questionnaire, but also very importantly, knowing then what to do with that information, making sure the athlete's happy, provide consent, and then, okay, well, you know, don't ask a question just to ask a question. Um, you need to know why you're asking that question and then what you're going to do with it. Um, mm, yeah, so. absolutely. And I think the other thing I, I just remembered is also she she mentioned that, you know, uh, that manipulating her body composition over the year and, and, you know, losing the cycle for a couple of months of the year, that's something that she did as a well-seasoned athlete in the second half of her career. That's not something she mucked around with sort of as a junior or in those sort of early parts of her career. Mm -hmm. You know, she's focused on the more fundamental elements of, you know, matching your nutrition to your training cycle and not, not getting that concerned about it. Mm. Um, and, and far better that you have a cycle all year round than try and muck around with it and find that you, you then lose a cycle for six or 12 months at a time. Exactly. Yeah. And how important, yeah, those um, earlier years were for her in, in being able mm. to set her up. And yep. that being patient because, you know, in a lot of endurance sports, you know, you do peak in your late 20s and your 30s mm. and sometimes even later. So, mm. um, you know, if you try and speed up that progress too quickly, um, you can end up with amenorrhea and then poor bone health and then, you know, the career's over before you even get to the peak. Mm. Yep, yep, yeah. No, some awesome um, points made. So, yeah, highly recommend people listen. Mm. All right, well, our next episode, Steph, is episode 33A, a bit of change of direction for our topic. We've looked at junior athletes and female athletes in the last two weeks. We're actually going back to, I guess, follow up a topic that we looked at before that, which was episodes 30A and 30B uh, with Trent Stellingworth and Stephen Lane, where we discussed training data and its role in nutrition. Um, but now we're going to focus on wearables specifically because it's not something we spend a lot of time on. So our topic is what's new with wearables and can it help me 
can you introduce our guest, Steph, before I conk out here and I guess <laughs> why we it. chose them? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah. So first ever double guest episode uh, with Canadian sports dietitian Dana Lease, although she, she is currently living in America uh, and you'll find out that she did come over to Ausland. Um, and also we will be joined very luckily by American exercise physiologist uh, David Martin. Um, so Dana consults to the Israel Premier Tech Pro Cycling team um, and this is where uh, with that team she actually did some, some work and experiments um, with um, the continuous glucose monitors. So we're going to talk about that. Um, and also she works with the Golden State Warriors and Sacramento Kings in the NBA where she very much encounters a lot of wearable tech um, living in, in California um, where much of the, the tech originates um, from. Uh, and then Dave was for many years uh, at the head of the Australian Institute of Sport um, Physiology Programme uh, and he actually did the work on pre-calling with slushies that we dis- discussed back in episode 28 with Meg Ross. Uh, and a few years ago, he, he moved back to the States to work in uh, the NBA with the Philadelphia 76ers. But mm-hmm. now he is working in Silicon Valley with a health and performance startup. So we'll, we'll find out more about that. Um, and yeah, as you mentioned, it's, it's following on from, from the episode that we did in terms of training data and its role in nutrition. So getting more into, um, talking about the wearables. So, uh, this is, uh, a really going to be a popular one with athletes because uh, they, uh, love tracking data, but don't always know, um, you know, how useful it is. Mm, yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, again, if you have any questions that you'd like answered on The Long Munch, feel free to contact us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at The Long Munch. Uh, And also, if you want to give us any feedback, good, bad, or otherwise, we're certainly happy to take it on board. Uh, And just remember, as uh, Steph did at her dinner last night, if you have someone debating a common question uh, about nutrition that runners, cyclists, or triathletes face, you can tell them that it's possibly already been answered on the long munch and if they go searching through the back catalogue they might find it or if it's not there let us know and we'll answer it yeah yeah awesome uh so we will talk to you soon we'll do see everyone see ya